Welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. So today, Shani, we're going to talk about ESG. Mm-hmm. And before we started recording, I asked what you do that's good for the environment. Yeah. And you came up with two things. Yeah. Recycling, yeah. <laughs> which is primarily <laughs> bottles of champagne and gin and <laughs> seltzer cans. Yeah. And you grow plants. I do, yeah. Now, you have a plant. You're moving. You purchase a house. You're moving into your house soon. Mm-hmm. You purchased a plant named Fergus. I didn't purchase it. You purchased a plant named Fergus as I, a gift for me. Okay. I got you a <laughs> gift a couple of years ago of a plant, and you took the plant on the bus. I did, which is, again, very environmentally friendly. Yeah, well, you public transport. You don't have a car, so yeah. it's not like you have a choice. <laughs> but yeah, you took Fergus out to live at your parents' house. Yes, yeah. So I'm a little nervous that they're not going to properly take care of him. So I feel like Fergus is going to thrive there. Okay, well, maybe he'll get upset when he moves back into your new house. But I feel like this has gone off the rails. Maybe has. we should talk about ESG. Yes. So ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. And when we talk about investing. It's an investment approach where certain standards are applied to what kind of companies are included in a portfolio, and those that don't meet the standards, of course, are excluded. Now, this is the point in time where I think a lot of people are probably flicking through trying to find another podcast to listen to, (laughs) but we're going to take a different perspective today. So, Mark, are you implying that ESG is not a popular topic with investors? Well, it is in a way. So ESG is very popular. So global sustainable funds have attracted $2.4 trillion US in funds. Okay. So if you think ESG is popular with investors, why do you think people won't listen to this episode? Well, because the problem is, what do you talk about with ESG, right? So, you know, there isn't really a second conversation about it. So once you understand what ESG is and you've made a decision to either invest in ESG funds or not, what do you, what do you say after that? And we did do an episode explaining what ESG is all about. So what makes today different? Okay. Well, today we're going to have the next one of our round of interviews, and we're going to put on our investing hats instead of our ESG hat. Okay. So maybe I'll expand a little bit on your confusing reference to what we're all collectively wearing. Uh, Investors are primarily concerned with risk. In fact, the whole act of investing involves weighing risk and return and making a decision if the trade-off is a good opportunity. And if we remove the desire to improve the world from ESG investing, we are left with the fact that many of these issues are, in fact, risks that face companies, and they need to be accounted for by investors. All right, so let's use a simple example. Around the world, we're starting to see governments not only encourage a switch to electric vehicles, but also introducing mandates about the percentage of electric vehicles that are sold. For instance, the state of California has recently said all vehicles sold in the state need to be electric by the year 2035. And you may listen to that mandate and say that is ridiculous, or you may say that is a great thing and a worthwhile step for the state to take. But either way, as an investor in car companies, you need to understand that is a risk to traditional car manufacturers. And like any other risk, that needs to be accounted for when making an investment decision. And that is how our guest today is going to approach ESG. Our guest name is Adam Fleck, and he's an equity analyst at Morningstar. 
is going to talk a little bit about how our analysts consider these ESG-related risks when rating any company. So hopefully this approach will provide a different view on ESG, and it's an interesting conversation for all investors, whether ESG is something you feel is important or not. All right. As mentioned, we have our next guest on Investing Compass. So I will introduce Adam Fleck. Now, Adam used to run our equity research team here in Sydney. He has since, and I don't know why, but since moved back to Chicago, where he's still working with Morningstar's equity research. So Adam, I don't know if you want to answer that back to Chicago question, but anything you want to tell people about yourself? Yeah. Hey, Mark. It's great to be here. Thanks so much. Chicago, right now, it's snowed today in mid-April when we're recording this, um, and it really does make me question why I left the sunny shores of Sydney, uh, but you can probably hear my American accent painfully coming through. I'm not Australian. Uh, back closer to family after five years um, in, in Sydney, but we certainly treasured our time there. Well, that's that's good. A lot of people do write in and make fun of my accent, so this will be an especially good episode for everyone. But as we mentioned in the introduction, we're going to talk a little bit about ESG. And we went through some of the stats during the introduction about how much investor interest in ESG has grown. And we wanted to try to do something a little bit different today. So Morningstar is heavily involved in ESG. We do have a group at Morningstar called Sustainalytics that does a lot of that research. But Adam, as we said in the introduction, does work on our equity research team. And Adam and I did have a number of discussions between ourselves when he was still in Sydney about ESG. So we want to take a little bit of a different angle. And maybe to start out with, a lot of what we're seeing in the news now about ESG is really around some of the backlash. So certainly in the US and globally, we've seen political backlash. We've also seen some backlash from inside the industry. So Kind of most famously, BlackRock's former global chief investment officer for sustainable investing, a guy by the name of Tariq Fancy, he published a very long article, I think a couple of years ago now, about his thoughts on the issues with how ESG has been implemented. So I guess maybe just to start out, just what are your thoughts on all of this noise we're hearing around ESG? Yeah, I think noise is probably the right word for it, Mark. You know, when I think about ESG and what we've done over the past few years um, since I moved back to the U.S. to take on a team focused on ESG and how we think about that at individual company analysis level, what we've learned really is that many traditional investors have had an uneasy relationship with ESG. And I think that's a large part because of how it's become defined. Many focus and define ESG as a focus on values and doing good if we can agree what good might be. And that can be tough to reconcile with a valuation-based, financially-minded view of investing. But when we put ESG and sustainable investing and all the criticism and benefits that we'll talk about with ESG into one big monolith, I think that we lose the fact that this is really a big tent with lots of room for different viewpoints and different strategies. And I think a lot of the criticism, it really conflates two of those key viewpoints within the big tent of ESG, and that's risk and impact. And in my mind, those are critically important to separate. ESG risk ultimately describes the effect of ESG factors on companies' financials, 
about the outside issues related to environmental, social, or governance on the company itself. So if it's an outward in approach, you might hear it called single materiality. And not always the opposite, but for the sake of this discussion, the opposite view might be one of impact, one that's a double materiality or an inward out. And that's the effect that the company has on the world around it, the environment and a society. Some companies might be helping those, some might be harming those, but really this aspect of sustainable investing focuses more on investor preferences and trying to drive impact and align portfolios with what uh, investors might deem to be the most impactful areas. So I said they're not exactly opposites. There's certainly overlap. Investors across the spectrum are still seeking return, obviously. And companies driving what we might call negative societal outcomes, like emitting carbon, may involve consideration of uh, its impact on the environment, certainly that that inward out approach, that double materiality approach, but it also might involve thinking about how that uh, future regulatory environment might come back to the company, say, through carbon taxes. So that's more of that risk factor. So there's certainly overlap, but as I see it, risk is really where we're focused on as investors, as individual company investors, when we're thinking about uh, matching that with the traditional measures of cash flow, balance sheet, and ultimately focus on valuation. So we like to say we're valuation focused, not values focused. And we put ESG in context with all the other challenges or opportunities a business may face. So there's lots of other risks that may be outside the sustainability lens that need focus too, but equally ESG, I think, is ultimately essential and risk analysis from ESG specifically is essential to investing and, and criticizing it uh, ESG and calling it woke investing and all these things that get thrown around, I think is ultimately conflating risk and impact at the detriment of investors. Yeah, so it's it's interesting because there's there's different perspectives that I guess individuals take versus professionals. So you know, generally, what we're pitched as individuals, we're pitched funds and ETFs, and they exclude certain companies that don't meet ESG standards, but. I do really like the way you're talking about it, taking a more holistic view of risk. So I don't know, maybe if you have an example or how an investor should think about that, because obviously anytime we're buying a company, there is risk involved. And what we're trying to do, right, is we're trying to get compensated for that risk. So we're trying to buy it at a valuation level where we feel, I don't know if comfortable is the right word, but at least comfortable that we are hopefully going to get compensated for that risk. So yeah, how do you think about risk? Yeah, I think it's a great point. And, and you brought up, you know, at the product level, I think it's it's really ultimately about communication and transparency. Um, so when you when you're buying into a fund, for instance, just to answer the first premise of your question that, you know, uh, claims to be ESG tilted or has a, has a sustainability focus and they're excluding, you know, the common exclusions we see, right? Alcohol, gambling, tobacco, perhaps uh, firearms here in the U.S. Uh, that is certainly one uh, a sliver of sustainable investing, a very valid one, but but you're you're inching closer there, I think, to preference-based investing rather than fundamental risk analysis and valuation. Uh, and to get to the second part of your question, ultimately we think about risk, uh, and, and we do this in all the 1,500 companies we cover as an equity research team globally, uh, including the you know 200 or so that we cover in Australia. And we think about well, what is the likelihood that this risk that we've identified might occur. So you could call that the probability. And what is the significance to our valuation? You know, the magnitude, the, the uh, potential hit to a valuation 
should this risk come to fruition? Should it materialize? Um, so you can think about, for instance, a carbon tax again. Now, we think this is a pretty low probability, but there's a potential that there's some form, say, here in the U.S., of taxation put on companies' carbon emissions that takes the form of direct cost. Again, that we think that's very low probability. Or some sort of cap and trade system expanding or perhaps a border tax um, as a few examples to cite. That would be probably quite material to, to heavy emitters of carbon, there's no doubt. Uh, but the low probability, I think, offsets that. So it's not just about you know, saying, oh, this is potentially bad for the company, therefore don't buy this company. It's really putting it in context like you would any other risk. You know, I used to cover, um, when it was still public, um, Coca-Cola in Australia. And uh, I certainly had to think about water. I had to think about obesity. I had to think about the sugary beverage taxes that occasionally get proposed. I had to think about container deposit schemes that were in place because of arguably environmental concerns related to waste. Those are all ESG issues that, that faced Coca-Cola. Uh, and I would have been a pretty bad analyst had I not thought about those things. Uh, that doesn't necessarily make me uh, you know, someone that uh, uh, is focused or advocating in some way for any of those. It really is just putting it in context and thinking about the probability of all of that. Ultimately, we will recommend companies that face high ESG risk just as equally as we'll recommend investing in companies that face low ESG risk. Like you said, it's about the price you pay versus the value and the valuation that you get. You want to be compensated for the risk, there's no doubt, but markets can become myopic and overly react to near-term issues. And if we think that you know, the ESG or otherwise risk that, that is uh, captured in the market is overly pessimistic, doesn't in fact affect the company's competitive position, doesn't affect their long-term cash flows as much as the market seems to imply, we're happy to recommend that. And you know, maybe something that I was thinking about while you were going through there and that I have gotten questions from investors about is as more and more funds, and we, we talked in the intro about, you know, how much is flowing into ESG products, as more and more funds go in there, as investors, do we have to think about there just isn't enough capital that can invest in some of these companies? Could you get into a problem where you have permanently low valuations just simply because so many investors refuse to buy a coal company, for example? Sure. It's, it's an it's a often debated topic within the ESG and sustainable investing realm, right? The, the opposite there, just to, to cast a similar premise, is if so much capital is chasing what people might agree to be the best ESG performers, won't those stocks become overvalued and you're locking in a lower rate of return in the future? Ultimately, I think um, you're going to get some technical gyration and volatility, potentially. But I think it's important to focus on the long-term valuation and not the short-term price. You know, uh, Price is what you pay, value is what you get. Um, the, old, the other old adage, right, is that in the short-term, the market's a voting machine. In the long-term, it's a weighing machine. So capital can go into stocks. It can, it can leave stocks pretty rapidly. But unless the marginal investor, unless, unless every single investor in the marketplace agrees that we're going to avoid coal companies, to use your example, I don't think there's a permanent loss of value, right? Because there'll be some investor at some price that says, hand on heart, I really think this is overpriced uh, risk. I think as a result, this is a really cheap stock. And I'm going to capture the return that is being priced in and offered to me. And you know, 
while that investor may or may not care about the environment to the same degree, they may choose to donate to charity or volunteer or or what have you to express their own preferences, but they feel like their preferences in investing is ultimately making money in this case. And so that marginal investor, that that last investor that buys into a coal company to capture a really attractive valuation, um, I think will still exist. And in the very long term, we might see ESG risk continuing to grow and manifest right over time. And I think it's important to, to say that. But also, we might see it get priced into the point that uh, there's attractive options, even in stocks that we think are not the best ESG performers. Yeah. And it's interesting. A, a book that I talk about a lot is The Future for Investors. And you know, when I first read that, and it was a while ago, the thing that really struck me is it was really analysis going back, looking at U.S. shares and looking at a period from you know kind of the mid-20s up until kind of the early 90s when the book was written. And what they were looking at is, hey, what was the best performing U.S. share? And interestingly enough, it was Philip Morris. So Philip Morris is, of course, a tobacco company. And part of that was attributed to, and this was including dividend reinvestment, and part of it was attributed to the fact that the company continually traded traded at a low valuation and that it generated huge amounts of cash flows. And basically, they didn't know what to do with them because, you know, over time, eventually they couldn't market anymore. Um, you know, smoking was actually reducing across the world during a big chunk of this time period. And so they didn't really have anything to do with the cash flows, but give it back to investors. And when I tell that story, a lot of people will come back and say, you know, that kind of sounds like coal right now, not to keep talking about coal, but, you know, generally a coal miner, they're not approving new mines. Um, so there's really nothing to do. So they just give it back to investors. So yeah, there's different different ways, obviously, to make returns. So yeah, I thought it was an interesting point. Yeah, and I think your 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 example there has a really important point I want to make, which is that sustainable investing can be a preference in thinking about you know aligning with companies that you you know are pursuing strategies you you think are highly perhaps impactful. ESG risks are critical and essential to incorporate. But that's part of the investing process. It's not the whole thing. Just like competitive advantages and economic moats are part of the process. And while there's some overlap there, that's not a direct causation. So being sustainable and being arguably good does not lead necessarily directly to building a competitive advantage, right? Philip Morris might be a great example of that. I think it's still really important to measure a company's competitive position on the more traditional measures of brands or cost advantage or network effect that we do here at Morningstar. And while ESG risk can play a part in that, right? They could certainly blow up a company before it becomes immensely profitable and continues to capitalize on that, for instance, if high regulatory barriers become a problem, for instance. It's tough. We don't really see the direct correlation between being a good company from an ESG perspective and having a competitive advantage. Morningstar Investor is built for investors by investors. It provides independent research and data on over 40,000 securities, tools to build and maintain an investment portfolio, and investor education resources to support you, regardless of where you are in your investing journey. Explore opportunities with our monthly global best ideas. Explore our ETF model portfolios, 
plan better with two years of dividend forecasts for ASX-listed stocks, and stay informed with independent thought leadership. We've built tools to help you construct, monitor, and maintain your portfolio, including our Portfolio Manager, integrated with one of Australia's leading portfolio tracking tools, ShareSight. Morningstar has been empowering investor success for over 35 years. We're passionate about your outcomes and are here every step of the way as you achieve them. Take out a free four-week trial to access our resources. Find the details in the episode notes. So if we take a step back and we think about an individual that's going out there and buying shares, so they're buying direct equities, they're not going through funds and ETFs. And obviously, you've talked a little bit about the research that Morningstar analysts do, trying to consider that holistic risk picture. But how should somebody think about that? And obviously, read our research is is one great way of doing it. But someone who isn't kind of rigidly investing in an ethical manner, but someone that wants to kind of balance return objectives with their own concerns about the environment and corporate governance and how companies treat their employees. I guess, how should an individual investor go out there and think about that? Yeah, great question. I I think what we can do as individuals is to be as, this is going to sound really easy and it's tough to do, but be as cold and apolitical in our analysis as possible. Be as objective as possible. Really think through, you know, like you would any risk or opportunity for a business. Realistically, what does this mean for the company that I'm looking to buy, right? What is the potential uh, negative downside to the profits of this business? What is the upside to the profits of, you know, maybe it's a company doing uh, electric vehicles, for instance, you're looking at Tesla, right? How many cars can they actually sell? What's the competitive environment look like in the future? Um, You know, I I think that treating ESG risks as much as you can, like any other, when you're doing your due diligence and really thinking through the upside and downside of what it means to the value of the uh, stock price that you're looking at, I think is super important. I think it's also important um, to think about your own preferences and your own portfolio. And, you know, now more than ever in, in a world where we have access to so much information um, and trading is so cheap, you know, we can reflect our values if we'd like in portfolios. Um, but I think it's equally important to remind folks that when I say impact focused investing, right, and I think about the impact side, not the risk side. So this one that's more inward out, this more preference-based type of of portfolio construction, it's still alignment, not direct impact, right? If I were to go out and buy shares of Tesla, they don't see any more capital, right? That that, Their shares are already in the market. They've done their IPO. Um, I'm not directly putting capital and my money to work at Tesla. Elon Musk doesn't wake up and say, thank God Adam Fleck bought three shares of Tesla. Now we have more money. I've gotten the the news he wants to drive lower carbon. It's it's a secondary market investment, and um, you know for those that are more uh, impact minded to drive specifically positive impact from an environmental or social perspective, I'd encourage folks to look at uh, potential funds in private companies. Um, you know where you, you're you're seeding companies um, here in the U.S. Uh, admittedly, uh, we've got municipal bonds uh, that are tied to specific social projects. We just had some in Chicago, for instance, that are interesting. There are more of those direct investing type opportunities where you've got specific, uh, you know, direct additionality, right? You're actually driving impact. Um, 
So just be careful. Again, I think any funds that are out there saying, we're going to change the world, and they're buying a bunch of secondary market shares and excluding some sectors um, might be overpromising. Yeah, no, that's a really, really good point. All right. So last, last question, and maybe this one's a little tricky because it is about the future, but you're an analyst, so you're supposed to be thinking about the future, right? So where where potentially could ESG go from here? Just we've seen this enormous growth. I think everyone expects that growth to continue. We talked a little bit about the backlash. There's still clearly internal debates, both within the financial services industry and just investors in general about ESG. I don't know. What what excites you, I guess, about ESG going forward? Or what are you curious about? We're, we're likely to get more evolution. So the industry continues to evolve. Tariq Fancy's criticisms um, that he brought forth a few years ago, among many others that have criticized ESG as well. I, I actually agree with some of his points, right? Um, you know, But I think it's led to the evolution we've already seen. We're seeing much more clear delineation between those items of risk and impact. Um, we're seeing much clearer uh, uh, regulation around what funds can and can't say about what companies are uh, reporting. And I think we're likely to see more data and transparency, and I hope consistency of that data as required by regulators that allows analysts and investors to answer tough questions. We've had a lot of interest and information provided to us on the environmental side, and there's more to come, right? If you think about the SEC here in the US, for instance, and, and other uh, regulators requiring more carbon emissions data, for instance, we've gotten less consistent data on the social side, particularly around issues of diversity or stakeholder management and community relations. Um, occupational health and safety remains an area that you, you get kind of spotty data. So over time, as this continues to be a focus and companies try to maybe differentiate themselves or regulators require it, I think we're likely to get more information that allows us to answer questions like, does a more diverse board help a company? Or can this is this company a high or low carbon emitter? Can they actually commit um, and deliver on the promises that that they've made? Um, you know, can, can a can a, uh, a unionized workforce compete with a non-unionized workforce? Right, these types of questions that are just tough to answer because we've got really really uh, non-transparent data. I think over time will help us and help to evolve the ESG uh, risk integration space. And from an impact perspective, again, I think also likely to help people understand um, what their companies are up to and whether they want to be um, owners in those companies. All right. Great. Well, Adam, thank you very much for joining. I really appreciate it. I think our listeners will really appreciate it. And at least in my opinion, a fresh perspective on ESG, kind of looking at it certainly in a more holistic manner, which I think is helpful for everyone. So thanks a lot, Adam. Of course. Thanks, Mark. And thank you guys for listening. As always, if anyone has any questions or comments, you can send them to my email address, which is in the show notes, or of course, leave a comment in your podcast app. Thank you very much. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations, or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.